0: Good morning and welcome to episode 28 of Beekeeping at Five Apple Farm. This is Lee. I'm so glad you've joined me today. I wanted to give you guys an update on the EFB issue that I had in my yard earlier. Um, EFB is European Foulbrood and for newer beekeepers, just to clarify, European Foulbrood is not American Foulbrood. American Foulbrood is the big bad disease that requires you to burn your hives. It's it's the bad one. European fowl brood is a related bacteria, but unlike American fowl brood, it does not form spores. So with American fowl brood, um, it's, a, it's a brood disease obviously that kills the brood, uh, but the American fowl brood forms spores that can live in equipment for 30 to 50 years. This is why the only recommended treatment for American fowl brood is to burn the hives. This is also the reason why there are strong precautions against buying used equipment and definitely you never want to you know like if you see some equipment for sale on Craigslist or whatever and you buy it and it has comb in it you definitely want to destroy that comb um, unless you absolutely know for sure that that hive did not have America did not die of American fowl brood. Now with the woodenware, if you buy used equipment, you can scorch the inside of it with one of those little handheld propane torches. And basically you lightly scorch the inside of it And that goes pretty far in um, eliminating that risk. And you want to pay attention to anywhere there's propolis that a a spore could be hiding under there. So that's why people are so paranoid about used equipment. Um, Once you've been in this a while, you look at it very carefully, but also uh, the woodenware can be cleaned up, unlike the comb which, if it is American fowl brood, the only way uh, it could be cleaned up is to go through one of the irradiation chambers. So that's just a clarification that I'm not talking about American fowl brood. I'm talking about European fowl brood, which is also an unfortunate, nasty brood disease. But the good part is it's it's an everyday type of bacteria. The bad part is that there's not a lot of treatment for it. There, You know, the traditional treatment... Uh, are a couple kinds of antibiotics because of my um, certified naturally grown status that's simply not an option um, for me but then when I read about the antibiotics I found out that unfortunately it often the material said just covers the disease it knocks it back enough um, that you don't see it anymore but the downside of it is that it allows bees that would otherwise just die from the disease to keep going but they're not uninfected so sometimes they pass that bacteria on to the next generation of brood and so it sometimes can make it actually harder to get rid of in the long run but i'm I'm going on much longer here but the episode if you look back in the list that says something about European fowl brood. That was um, uh, two hives in my apiary that one of them I actually tested and it tested positive and then the other one just looked identical. So I didn't waste the money on doing the second test, but it looked identical. So I um, marked both of them as kind of quarantine hives. I was about to cull those hives, um, but after a conversation with my um, state bee inspector, he had some ideas about if i wanted to try to salvage them since um these are very hygienic bees and it took a minute to figure out what was going on because with a hygienic bee which is a genetic trait you do want in your hives um, but what happens is they pull out the diseased brood so quickly that you don't see any of the diseased brood and that's the way you can be alert that something's going on if you see little melted larvae in the bottom of the cells they kind of just look like a darker yellowish melted gross kind of little snot in the in the cell and that should really alert you that something is wrong Um, but the catch with hygienic bees is that the first thing you see is just a shotgun brood pattern and that is when you in this is all capped brood but you see a frame that should be capped brood and but there's only a capped brood here and there and here and there and here and there and there's empty cells in between now there's other times that this can happen so it gets a little bit tricky because maybe that brood is hatching out healthily and they're backfilling that a brood nest to turn it into a honey frame, but if they're just empty, um, or if there's a frame that has a lot of different aged larvae like you see eggs, you see, you know, white open larvae, you see capped brood all on the same frame again, there's multiple times you can see that. For example, if you have like a little colony that has run out of space, this happens with nucleus colonies. Um, then what's happened what they don't have enough the queen doesn't have enough space to lay so the moment a cat brood hatches out she goes back and puts an egg in that frame and in that case it's not an indication of disease it's an indication that she needs more room Um, so as with everything in beekeeping nothing is black and white simple as it seems Um, Beginners, just to encourage you, things get so much easier after you've been doing this about four or five years. Now, it doesn't get effortless, don't be, don't kid yourself. (laughs) You're always gonna have to put your back into beekeeping if you want to be a good beekeeper and have good, healthy bees, but it does get easier by year five. If you're really regular on looking at your bees and doing what they need, and um assessing them regularly then you're gonna have a lot of knowledge that you didn't have before and so then it's not a surprise every time you open up the hive but that said you can be in it almost 10 years like me nine years and open up the hive and go whoa what is going on here which is what I did with the shotgun brood pattern Um, after a little time I ordered a European fowl brood test which my beekeeper said, "Don't do that again. Just talk to him, and he can he can give me the test." Um, but I ordered one, and it did come back positive to my dismay. This is the first known brood disease I've ever seen in my yard. I've read since that it it there are some beekeepers who feel like European fowl brood is kind of making a comeback. It was a pretty quiet. Apparently, for many years, it was just something that might show up when the the hive is under stress, in particular, when there was no flow, and um, that the hive could be under stress. They might show a little sign of European fowl brood, which is apparently the bacteria is just apparently out there in the environment. I want to find out exactly where, as you know, it is. It always associated with a a beehive, or are there other places in the environment this bacteria can hang out? Um, but Usually, with a, a good, otherwise healthy colony, once the flow starts back, the European fowl brood will resolve. I felt worried enough about my hive that I wanted to take stronger action, um, again, because antibiotics were not on the table of options for me. If, if I was, felt pretty urgent that if I needed to get those hives out of there to destroy those hives, um, not the hives, but the, the frames and the, the bees, that I would do so. But my bee inspector said there were a couple things I might try. One was to feed them, um, particularly with some Honey Bee Healthy in there, which is, uh, I don't know, just a little stimulant, a feeding stimulant that's natural um, oils. And the other thing, and this was the key, because I had already started feeding them when I wanted to start doing something about this um, once it was diagnosed, but he said to add Uh, nurse bees or healthy capped brood from other hives and this turned out to be the key to turning the hives around so I guess well okay um, I I don't think I've said this the good news is that one of the hives that had, had had it and had looked really bad actually the worst of the hives the process that I went through was I shook the bees off the frames with the idea that the bacteria is in the comb and on the frames so I shook the bees onto fresh drawn comb um, that I had in reserve and also you know took away all that brood that was uh, diseased and took away the um, frames that had food frames on them because apparently the bacteria contaminates the brood food Again, I've got to look up and figure out, is that the nectar or is that the pollen or both? But anyway, I got rid of all the frames, everything on the frame, shook the bees onto clean, empty frames, put um, empty drawn comb frames, and then put fresh um, nectar frames from other healthy hives, honey frames, and pollen frames from other healthy hives, just to give them a total fresh start. And then the key that seemed to turn it around was when my inspector said to add, brood and nurse bees because what happens with the brood disease is as as the um, rate of healthy brood hatching out uh, uh, emerging I should say from capped cells as that decreases then the nurse bees that are feeding the larvae they're getting older and older and they're also the nurse bees are the ones that clean out the cells that have any diseased larva in it so what happens is the nurse bees get infected with the bacteria and then they turn around they're also the bees that are feeding the new larva so they're passing that bacteria on the sign of um one sign in hindsight that i know now is your open capped brood the little larva white larva stage they should be bright shining white i mean bright white if you ever see off color like kind of beige or my first sign in hindsight was that the royal jelly in the little tiny um, larva cells it was slightly yellow now at that point the larva still looked bright white and healthy but there was it was like a dollop of yellow food coloring in the brood food and in hindsight that will be the sign I will watch out for that that there's a problem because that is the diseased food being fed to the brood. So to make the short story very long, um, I added uh, many frames of, like several frames, of healthy capped brood from other hives that was on the verge of emerging because those would give this big influx of healthy nurse bees to kind of break that cycle of diseased nurse bees who are getting older and older feeding um, larvae. And that seemed to do the trick because they the hive the two hives got their feet under them. They started looking good. I would look at the uh, brood frames. There was big swaths of healthy uh, capped brood. Did not have any sign of shotgun brood. The open brood was all white. One of them. Rebounded so strongly that I almost had a swarm because they came back so fast, and um, re- and 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 oh, by the way, I I requeened both of these immediately. That was like my first step. First step was to requeen. Second step was to feed, which kind of happened at the same time. Um, th- <laughs> let me back up. The very first step was to requeen, or or take the old queen out. I should say I called the old queen then I shook all the bees onto new comb, then I requeened, then I fed some, and finally the thing that t- turned the corner was I added many frames of new capped brood from other healthy hives. So one of those hives looks phenomenal. You would never know that anything had been wrong with it. The other one um, has not been so uh, gangbusters. I mean they're they look good. The brood is white. Um, There's no sign of any yellow, beige, anything in the brood. Um, The pattern is good, but they just haven't grown as quickly. So I still have them flagged, to keep a close eye on i mean actually i have them both flagged because i've been trying to be very very careful about any type of um, like when i i clean my hive tool with a diluted bleach spray i actually stick the hive tool down in the smoker to uh, sear off any wax or propolis that's gotten um, on it before i use it on any other hive Uh, just a lot of infection control um, precautions for those so that's the good news the happy news is um like i said one hive gangbusters other hive good Uh, still keeping an eye on both of those thank goodness i have not seen any sign of it in any other hives of course i am nervous because it's about to be dearth time the flow is pretty much ending the sourwood flow is ending here in the mountains Um, i'm in the highlands so it has already ended in uh, i hear in my surrounding neighborhoods that are at um lower elevations but we still have some going on and we there's still white pollen and orange pollen coming in and I'm not quite clear what the orange pollen is because usually I associate that with aster but that it's too early for aster blooms in like late September October Um, so I'm not sure about what that orange pollen is but they've got it coming in and on the subject of pollen I'm totally not following my show notes. I actually had show notes to read you, and already I'm wildly um, down another rabbit hole. But I think this is important. Um, in late summer, early fall, at least here in the Southern Appalachians, we tend to have a pretty solid dearth. Um, the flow shuts off if you have sourwood it is ended there are whatever wildflowers clover can become unpredictable because if it gets real dry it doesn't produce a lot of nectar if you're in a forested area like I am there's not a whole lot blooming until goldenrod and uh, goldenrod I see a little goldenrod starting um, out on the highway I haven't seen it close to my house Um, but goldenrod is tricky. It is both one of the most important um late summer fall flows that we have. It is what they put up. It's the stuff that stinks <laughs> when the nectar's going in the hives. You can definitely smell it. It has a distinct odor. But it can be tricky because it can bloom beautifully. You can see absolute fields of goldenrod blooming around you and some years it has nectar and some years it does not. Now around here goldenrod is what the beekeepers kind of rely on to stock up fall hives, Um, particularly if you've taken a lot of honey off and then a lot of times around here people feed and then they're relying on goldenrod. I really try to make every effort to leave my bees enough honey to get through winter. I have learned to be cautious because I have well, I've learned the hard way that just because you see fields and fields of goldenrod doesn't mean it has anything in it. And, um, so you want to, as fall progresses, you want to be keeping an eye, doing the little tilt test, uh, on, on your hives, um, to see how heavy they are, if they're getting heavier, even better to ke- keep a close eye on your hives and make sure you still see nectar frames coming in any anytime that you're assuming there's a flow out there. So, um, that's something to keep a close eye on that it can look like they have something but they don't necessarily they aren't necessarily bringing in nectar but if you're feeling of your hives doing the tilt tests regularly you can tell if they're not gaining weight or even losing weight and better yet if you're looking around in there you can tell when the flow stops because you'll stop seeing those glistening wet um, nectar frames now the catch about this if you, particularly beginners, if this is your first year, okay, so you've had this great summer flow, you might have eased up on feeding your new um, package and they're drawing out comb, they're getting, really getting it full um, and the, you had summer so, so much summer flow that you, you've stopped feeding. So be careful about now. And actually this goes for um, everybody uh, because what I've found is if, if you have a very dry end of summer and you have a strong dearth, depending on the variety of bees you have, the carniolans are very responsive to what is going on uh, in the weather and they that queen will back off on laying. And if it's a brand new hive, this can be uh, detrimental because that population is not big enough um, for her to... To to back off now with your big hives, that's actually good. Uh, Her backing off on the laying to some extent can give kind of a partial uh, brood break. But you're we're getting into late July, August, depending on where you are and what climate you're in. At least here in the Southern Appalachians, this is a real tricky time because the queen next month, in particular, and even starting soon, the queen is going to be laying the eggs that will become the the bees that raise the winter bees so let me back up so winter bees are those critical special bees that matter whether your hive gets through the winter they are built different they are actually built to live longer and they they have different composition in their body and so what's tricky about in the say the month coming up at least here is uh, they're going to be raising the generation of bees that's going to be raising the winter bees, and if this generation is diseased, if they have too high mite pressure, if they have sign of disease, then they're going to be unhealthy, and they're going to raise an unhealthy generation of winter bees. So this is a difficult time because if you um, if you treat then be get aware and 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 find your treatment window talk to experienced beekeepers about how to treat in time that you have healthy bees raising your winter bees and definitely that your winter bees are as healthy as you can manage if you use non-chemical what i'm going to call treatments here and that would be brood breaks and other uh, drone culling this type thing you just need to get really aware in my opinion and keep a close eye on your hives to find out who is handling their mite pressure who can handle it who still has good looking brood patterns who still has low mite counts um, because those are going to be you know those bees you're you're starting to make mental notes on who are your best hives uh, going into winter because hopefully if they come out of winter those are going to be your breeder hives for next year but this year you have to keep an eye because if a if a hive starts faltering, if they start having problems about now, then it is very unlikely they will make it through winter. And so this is your decision window. You know, the next 45 days, say, and that's kind of stretching it depending on where you are, you've got this decision window of, is this hive bad off enough that it needs to be treated? Um, there There are some excellent organic mite treatments and if you are not raising bees if you're not raising nukes to make more bees to outrun the mites to have replacements for the ones you lose then please please consider using the organic treatments because if you're not raising more nukes more hives and you're and you're not treating in any way then you're just rolling the dice and and you know that's that's okay that's your option if you're can handle that and if your ethics can handle that of what it might affect it might have on nearby hives then hey it's free country and all Um, but if you really want to come out next year with live bees in the spring and I really encourage you to aim for that because if you don't come out with live bees you are going to be back at zero of looking for bees and you're going to probably have limited options In a worst case scenario, you're going to buy another package from Georgia. No offense, Georgia, I love you. But you know, you're going to buy another package. You're going to bring them to places that aren't Georgia. They're not adapted. And there you go back, you know, down the spiral that's just there's no getting out of. Um, So I would really encourage you to look with open eyes. um, No magical thinking here. Look at your hives. See if they're handling their mites. If they're handling it, they still look healthy, strong, then you do you do have a decision to make of, you know, am I going to treat this hive? If you're breeding bees, um, like I'm so hoping that you're learning or preparing to learn to do or you're doing, then you've got backup hives and you've got backup nucs, hopefully, sitting there in reserve. And if you have a hive that's just not winning against mites, you can requeen with that little nuc You could add resources, you can boost them and get them in a strong condition again because that truism that you hear from beekeepers of take your losses in the fall is really smart because if you take action now and either deal with the problem through organic treatments, if that's your path, or deal with the problem of essentially culling those genetics now you don't have to kill any bees to do this Um, if i see a hive that is faltering that's not doing well this is where i pull one of those little nucleus colonies it could even be a few frames out of a queen castle but it's got a a new healthy laying queen and it's got capped brood that has not been exposed to a heavy mite load they're healthy they're strong if i requeen with that now then that young queen if i do it in time can turn that ship around and they can go into winter strong. So yes, that's my soapbox. (laughs) Because this is the strangely enough, this is the time of the year when you're you're making the decisions that are going to affect how your bees survive the winter, which is going to affect what happens in the spring. Now it's not a hundred percent. You can go into winter with good looking hives and they not make it for other reasons. Um, But the disease might issue this is the decision window of uh, taking whatever action is on your plan of care for your bees okay i'm gonna ease up on the soapbox because i know i got on a tear there but i I feel pretty passionately about this because um, i think it's hard when you're first starting bees it is really hard to get an idea of the cycle of this whole thing you know you go out there and you look at your hives and you're very much in the now and you're like hey this hive looks great as an experienced beekeeper like like right now if i go out and i see a hive that is just going gangbusters it has tons of capped brood has tons of bees tons of honey i'm like wow look at that hive that would be me as a beginner but me as an experienced beekeeper right now if i see a ton of capped brood in that hive, my first thought is, wait a minute, when did this hive have a brood break? Because that's my main technique for managing mites uh, without chemicals. And if that hive hasn't had a brood break recently, you know, meaning in the past couple months, then my thought is, oh no, because there are tons of breeding mites under those caps. And so I'm gonna have a problem. If I'm still in the window when I can do a brood break, Um, really to be you know at that stage really I've missed the I've missed that train because if they have that much cat brood now and they haven't had a brood break then I'm getting kind of late here to do a brood break Um, now that is if they're going to raise their own queen because as you know raising their own queen it takes a lot of hive energy which it looks like they have, but if a bunch of mites come out of those cap cells with all that cap brood, then again you run into the exponential problem, whereas the bees are starting to cut back on their population. I know it doesn't look like that now, and of course this is very uh, where you are dependent, but here in the southern Appalachians, the, the population has actually peaked. It's, it's kind of just passed uh, because after that summer solstice it's just full of bees but the truth is that population has more of bees has more or less peaked meanwhile right behind that or right with it the population of mites has peaked and what i've found is if i if i have not taken action and i end up with that big hive full of capped brood and i try to do a brood break now I've had really mixed results because essentially that hive that's requeening and going through that um, somewhat stressful, uh, resource-heavy uh, requeening, they may be doing it with weakened bees who are putting too heavy of a mite load on those um, on that hive now because i have lots of little nukes and queens and queen castles actually i have so many that i don't have a speck of equipment and that's a whole nother <laughs> i meant to tell you that today but i'll get to it in the next one um because i have those then if i wanted to i could do a brood break and in and, and strategically time it to where then i go in take out the queen cells and then requeen. and so that's kind of trick riding and you need in my opinion several years of experience to do that type of thing but if you've got a big hive tons of cat brood you have not treated or you haven't treated in a while um you know believe me i'm not encouraging people to use chemical treatment even the organic treatments i mean because there's risk it's just like antibiotics that cure us from pneumonia yeah it might cure your your pneumonia but it has its own risk associated with it but what i do want you to do is to fearlessly find out what your situation is find out what's going on in your hives Um, if you're new find out from experienced beekeepers what they're doing and i invite you to um, find out from experienced beekeepers on every on both ends of the spectrum of what they're doing from um, experienced treatment free people have who have not treated in years and who have live bees every year those are important aspects because there's a lot of quote-unquote treatment-free beekeepers and if you ask them they pretty much have to nearly start over every year and in my opinion that's not really successful uh, in terms of a sustainable bee yard Um, and if you're not having a sustainable bee yard and having survivors that you can breed from then in my opinion you're not really furthering the cause of chemical-free or treatment-free bees that's a whole nother issue on the other hand you'll have the people people who religiously treat with the hardcore chemicals i'm not into that because they build up in the comb and that affects the hive down the road but there are several organic uh, meaning and, and, and in in this case it's not that it's not a chemical but it's not a chemical that's going to get in the comb and affect future generation of bees and in particular affect their reproductive capacity so the formic acid oxalic acid thymol products um, those are non-residual in the in the hives so they have not been shown to my knowledge to have down the road impacts on larva being raised in that in that comb so the takeaway message here if you really really want live bees in the spring is to assess where you are in the process if you're new find out somebody in your area that is a good beekeeper find out what they're doing now Um, is this the time in your area that they're doing mic counts is this the time in your area that they're requeening and this can be completely different in different areas of the country much less different countries because I actually see on the podcast that I have listeners in different countries I can't believe it but wherever you are if you're in a different country, please write me and tell me where you are. On the Facebook page, it's Five Apple Farm, Bees, Honey, and More. Again, Five Apple Farm, that's three words. Um, on Facebook, you could message me or you can email me at Blue Ridge 714 at Gmail. Again, Blue Ridge 714 at Gmail. Um, and if you're listening in a country other than the U.S., I would so love to know. Uh, where you are and um hear hear about your bees okay so that was my probably hopefully a more pleasant interlude than me worried about your hives regarding mites because please don't fall into the trap of thinking that oh if i just do nothing and then um you know then i'm i'm going to be helping bees be chemical free because you're really not not unless you have little hives in reserve um extras uh, particularly small young hives to go through winter and come out with in the spring that's actually the topic that i'm going to (laughs) be soapboxing in live person at um, my local tocaine beekeepers meeting this tuesday night in burnsville if you're in western north carolina and you want to come you're welcome to our club is actually raffling off an entire hive complete with bees now, to be a part of the raffle, you have to join our club, which is about ten bucks, and then buy a raffle ticket, which is five bucks, and the the proceeds are going to benefit the educational projects of our uh, club. But um, if you don't need to win a hive, um, then I will be doing a podcast afterwards of what I covered. And to be honest, I'm sort of tweaking my content a little bit because I keep hearing from brand new beekeepers who who want to win this hive that they're going to come and so i think i'm going to go more toward a um, a beginner level in the sense uh, that i want to help people get mentally prepared for next year because so many of the queen rearing nuke rearing things at least here Uh, it's actually the windows kind of closing on that in fact it just depends on where you are about whether you know queens can still get successfully mated here in the high mountains at this point it won't be long before my hives are starting to throw out their drones um, throw them outside so that they don't want to feed them anymore and once those drones start getting thrown out then if you have a new queen she doesn't have anybody to mate with Um, and of course you know in theory they don't mate with bees from your own yard but if your hives are throwing out the drones then probably hives within the mating range may be doing the same so this is the window's kind of closing here for making new queens be conscious of that it's not to say you could if you you know lose a hive to a swarm um, it's not to say they won't requeen successfully but you just have to keep an eye on them because it's a touchy time of the year So I've just ranted on, I think I've covered one topic of the like five I had on my little index card to talk with you about today, but um, I will try to do an early one because I do want to talk about some other seasonal things, the whole cycle of where we are, and in particular uh, robbing prevention, because that's, besides mites and um, the associated uh, viruses and diseases that they cause, the other, the biggest challenge this about this time of the season is related to the dearth um, related to the cutoff of the nectar flow and the associated robbing that can take place and your little hives your little nukes if you're doing that they are very vulnerable because they do not have the population to fend off um, robbers of the honeybee kind or robbers of the yellow jackets wasps other bees you know god knows what that's trying to get in there and get their honey so um, start thinking about robbing prevention. Maybe do some Googling on robber screens and other robbing prevention techniques because once you have robbing, it's kind of a mess. And so it's all about preventing that from happening. And that's what I will start with next time. I'm making myself a big note because otherwise I'll forget, I will forget. And that's why I'll start next time is my tale of forgetfulness and what it got me this past week. Thank you so much for listening to beekeeping at five apple farm i would so appreciate it if you would share this podcast on your social media if you're facebook or twitter or instagram all those places i'm not really all those places but if you would share just the title the podcast beekeeping at five apple farm um, and tell your friends who are beekeepers to check it out and see if they like it see if they enjoy it Um, sometimes on social media if you share a link like directly to the podcast like facebook in particular then they won't show it to as many people that if you just you know post a picture of your hives and say hey i'm enjoying listening to this podcast beekeeping at five apple farm that will help people um, find it better so thank you for that i appreciate your help in getting the word out and in the meantime have a wonderful week stay cool Don't get heat exhaustion, don't get heat stroke (laughs) because it is easy to do out there. All right, thinking about you all and wishing you well. See you soon.